Hello, my friends. If we're yet to meet, my name's Nick. It's really great to be here with you. Happy New Year. I think I'm allowed to say that still. Happy New Year. January 21. Let me know later what the cutoff date. I don't know when you're allowed to stop saying these things. So we mentioned earlier, this year at church, we, we pick a theme sensing where God's leading each year. This year is the year of spiritual renewal. If you're a believer, this is something you should long for because it's entirely possible to have crystal clear theology around the gospel of grace in Jesus and yet still feel spiritually dry. It's a very real reality for some of us that God can feel distant, sometimes even absent, as we, we sing and we talk and we meet and talk about these beautiful truths about Jesus and yet still sometimes feel like they're not true. But on the flip side, that's not a surprise to the way that God has always operated in His people. For me, spiritual renewal just comes beautifully in this prayer from, from Paul to the Ephesian church. They're, they're already a community of believers. He prays them in, in chapter 3. You should write this down if you haven't read this before. 3.14, he says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's beautiful, right? But the reason it's incredible is because he's praying for a people who are already Christians. And he's saying, I'm praying already knowing that you are rooted and, and established in the love of Christ. You have seen and tasted the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it has transformed your eternity with complete certainty. No one can take away from you from the fact that God Almighty Himself knows you by name, calls you son or daughter, and is going to welcome you home into eternity. That has changed everything for you. And yet sometimes you ain't going to feel like it. <laughs> because I want you to realize that the Christian journey is actually just expanding your vision of God such that you start to grasp a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more of how wide, high, deep, and long the love of Christ is. Because it's infinite. It says later in this prayer that it surpasses knowledge. The eternal God who made everything looks upon broken people and loves them and welcomes them into Himself, the God of love. We will spend the rest of our lives into eternity feasting on the beauty and reality of who God is. And so, on the one hand, we don't need to freak out when we aren't there yet because there's a journey to be had. And then on the other hand, we have a, a part to play because as we pray and seek God, He says, I'm going to meet you there. And so, part of this year of spiritual renewal is we're going to pray. We're going to stop doing as much stuff. We're going to try and slow down and walk closely with God because it's God who brings renewal, right? This is a prayer. It's not a command. But at the same time, there are moments throughout our year that we're going to stop, whatever, whatever we're doing, and we're going to try and focus on a different spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline from Scripture. Because God gives us what we call means of grace, things that we do to position ourselves with Him, to, to intentionally turn away from life as we know it in this world and just turn ourselves completely to God. That's, that's what we're doing when we read our Bible, when we pray, when we come to church. They're ordinary things, but they're gifts from God where we just come and, and feast upon Him. We're going to start with something a little spicy because it's one that's pretty unfamiliar to most of us, and that is silence and solitude. Have you ever heard of silence and solitude? Practiced it before? A couple of nods, a few like, oh, gosh, a few deep, deeply seated fear 
shining out of people's eyes as the extroverts realize, you're going to ask me to be alone? <laughs> the introverts are like, you're allowed to do this and it's a good thing? That sounds amazing. I remember the first time I heard a sermon on this, actually, I got a little confused. I was like, is that what they, like, take the prisoners and, like, put them in isol- solitary confinement? Very different. Silence and solitude. It's, it's a spiritual practice deep in Scripture. We're going to get there in a minute. But one that Christians have practiced for centuries it's been, it's been an anchor point of individuals seeking after God. And ironically or sadly, we've lost it at the time we need it most. Because we live in, in a noisy world, a, a distracted world, where it is so hard to live closely with God. Jim Elliott, he's, he's an incredible missionary from the 20th century. He gave his life serving the kingdom. And he he wrote in the 1950s, he wrote, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, crowds. If he can keep us hearing radios, insert TikTok here, gossip, conversation, or even sermons, please listen, he's happy. Satan's happy. But there's one thing he won't allow. He will not allow quiet. And then you start to look at the lens of our moment and you realize how strategically, if the enemy is behind this, he has orchestrated the modern world such that we would never be alone with our thoughts, let alone alone with God. Now, let me just show you a couple of reasons why silence and solitude is so needed for us. First is advertising. If you're in marketing, I still love you. But the the marketing industry in 2025 is going to cost about a trillion dollars globally. That's a one with 13 zeros after it. That's a lot of money, right? But you only spend a trillion dollars on something if you think you're going to gain something back. And that's what marketing is. It's this this intentional industry designed to seize the attention of ordinary people away from whatever else we might have considered and given ourselves to such that we can monetize the things that we focus on. Now, there's a good good place for marketing. We love you, friends in advertising, because there's good things that we want to let people know about, and advertising is really... But the fact that this number grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, and this industry is all-consuming, we could start talking about the amount of things that are barraging us every single day with content, trying to seize our attention towards something. But at the end of the day, it just contributes to this noise that stops us from looking at the beauty of God on the horizon and instead fixating on the the shiniest thing right before us. How can they do it so well? Well, I would bet like 98% of you have a vibrating brick in your pocket. This thing takes everything that's going on in your intellectual internet world and it processes it, churns it out to the nameless people and it's used for your advertising. And ironically, again, This thing that feeds out to the advertisers is equally used to grab hold of our attention in and of itself. Our our pleasure and reward system has just been hijacked such that whenever we feel a little bit upset or afraid of something or a bit anxious or even just like kind of feel movement in your pants that might be a vibration, we touch it, we grab it. The stat is that that 2,600 times is the average amount that a person touches their phone in a day. If you're in Gen Z, you have probably spent seven hours on your phone on an average day. If you're a normal human that's not Gen Z or even millennials, 
the number's five and a half hours. There's 24 hours in a day. I'm assuming you're spending some sleeping. When you consider that, that's astounding. Again, not ragging on phones. I mean, I've got mine here with some notes on it to, to preach from. It's, it's a good thing. But how much has it come to dictate our minds and our lives? You, you come to your phone again and you realize you can, you, you might not know this, and I'm about to change your life. You can go on Amazon. You can buy anything, right? And if you push the right buttons, it'll come to your door in hours. Like, it's crazy. You feel like you just, you know, you're feeling a little hungry and you're like, you know what, I could really go. Some, some obscure Mediterranean food from this corner of the, you know, this. you can have it at your door in like 30 minutes. Our world has so designed itself so that you never have to wait or long for anything. Because the more that you'll push the button and grab the thing, the more and more you're going to push the button and grab the thing. Again, this, this, our world is designed to remove any sense of delayed gratification and instead to just try and just turn your attention as far and as wide as it can away from the things that matter because there's money in it. Now, as much as I'd like to plant a new bridge church location that goes Amish, I feel like that'd be really fun. I could really do. I, we should, maybe we should think about it, but I'd, I'd love to learn how to churn butter. That's what I want to know how to do. I'm not suggesting that again. Like, technology, it's a thing. It's a part of the world. You can't escape it. In fact, there's beauty and good that comes from it. Just everything that we've talked about has these, these good gifts of God. The problem is when we take good things and we're so full of good that we miss out on God who made it. We must recognize that the life we are living so often hamstrings our attempts to know God deeply. Whether it's in these ways or in others, we self-sabotage without realizing. We have an incredible theology of God, but so often we don't have the way of life that matches it. We have, we have the mind of Christ, but we have the life of the secular world around us. We, we get, I think you, you probably have heard this phrase that Christians are meant to be in the world, but not of the world. You've heard that? It's from 1 Peter it's the whole body. You know, Israel in the Old Testament, they're this holy nation distinct from everyone around them. The church is this holy community of people meeting around Jesus. They're, they're to be different. And we kind of get that when it comes to holiness. We should probably have a different sexual ethic. We should probably engage on social issues differently because we've met Jesus. We should treat people differently. We should speak different. We, we start to get that. We struggle with it. Man, if you come to me, you realize there's no perfection there, but at least we're trying you take the stuff that's kind of the unspiritual stuff, and we've just kind of let it go. If you took the average Christian just daily diary, and the average non-Christian daily diary, apart from maybe a bit of scattered Jesus stuff on top, is there really a profound difference? Maybe not. Maybe there should be. If you've ever tried to learn how to ride a motorbike, you get your L's, they stick a limiter on your engine so that you can't get to a certain like, height of revving, so you can't hurt yourself accidentally. The reality is, if we are not able to stop and revisit what it means to live in the world as a Christian, we will always have a limit on our spiritual life with God. Don't hear me wrong. Rooted and established in love, the gospel is true no matter what you do or who you are. It's all about Jesus. But the life that we were made for of knowing God and dwelling in beauty and intimacy and relationship, the spiritual renewal stuff. We need power. We need a new way of life. 
So hence, silence and solitude, it's, it's a beautiful thing in its own right, we're going to see that, but it's also an antidote to our current moment, a chance for Christians to step up and say no to Pharaoh as he seeks to dictate our way of life and instead come and live the redeemed life, the free life with the God who made us. So it's a needed practice, but it's a biblical practice. Let's get there. Get your Bibles, open them up. Psalm 46. It's a beautiful psalm. It really is. And you might have picked it up when it was read, the famous verse in verse 10. You probably picked it because we're talking about silence and solitude. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I love that. I have three little girls at home that are absolute chaos. And so I'm like, stillness, I want some of that. Be still and know that. Doesn't that make you feel good? It makes me feel good. When I first became a Christian, I was a teenager. Um, and I started hanging out with my friends who were Christians and going to their homes. And I realized they all had the same magnet on the fridge. Be still and know that I'm God. It's like an unwritten rule of the Christian naughties. I don't know. It's a beautiful verse. There's a reason it's famous. It captures something so, I guess, enticing and, and desirable, and yet something that feels kind of elusive and difficult to grab. It's famous for a reason. But when you read through Psalm 46 and you pay attention to what's going on, you realize maybe it's not quite the little, you know, oh man, I could finally get a break from my crazy kids kind of stillness, but maybe there's something else going on here. Have a look at me. Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And if God is that, verse 1, verse 2 says, therefore, because of that, we will not fear. Knowing God in this way changes your outlook upon your entire existence. So what kind of stuff won't you fear? Look, verse 2, you won't fear the earth giving way, mountains falling into the heart of the sea, waters roaring and foaming, the mountains quaking with their surging. Verse 5, the city of God is, is being besieged. Verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. There's a war that's breaking across the world and everything is falling apart. And Psalm 46 is saying, if you have God, you need fear nothing. Because your entire life could fall apart, the entire world could fall apart. And do you know who's still going to be there at the end of it? The one who made it all. It's awesome. It's triumphant. It's confident. And yet, I, I come to this every year in my Bible reading plan. I've got one of those Bibles that has like the margins. You see that? And I read through my margins. And every year, there's no triumph or confidence. There's just anxiety. <laughs> there's just different stuff going on in my world where I'm like, gosh, God, I just need you to be my, my help. I just need you to be my trouble. Not my trouble. My help from trouble. My refuge from trouble. Is there something wrong with me? Do you ever look at Christians who just seem to be on fire for the Lord and you think, I just want that, but is there something just, am I a little broken spiritually? Have I just missed something? How can they speak like this? Life's hard. Sometimes God feels far. This is written by the sons of Korah. Maybe the sons of Korah are just spiritual superheroes and we're all just like playing catch up and we've got a long way to go. Maybe we've missed something. Maybe they were drinking different water. I'm not sure. I don't think that's the case. Well, I, I think the Psalms beautifully capture sometimes what's going on here, but sometimes they remind us of what's true so that what's going on here can align itself with what's true out there. I think this was given to the church, to the, the, to the Jews in the temple, to sing while they're full of fear, therefore we will not fear, so that we might train our hearts to see what is true. I think this is an invitation 
that you can have a life like this. You can, you can live a life where the world at large is absolutely destroyed, and yet the Lord Almighty is with us. Okay, cool. How do I get there? I want that. How do I have that? That's what 1 to 7. Verse 8, this is where the verbs come in. This is like the, hey, here, now come and do some stuff. Here's how you can step into this little thing that we've just talked about. So verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done. Verse 1 to 7, the Lord is almighty. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So what? Come and see what the Lord has done. Turn your attention in the ordinary parts of your life towards the eternal realities of God. In the words of what we were talking about before, stop getting distracted by all this stuff that just wants to keep you over here and over there and over here and just lift your eyes again and see who God is. Let your life be interpreted by God and not by how you feel. Let your life be defined by the gospel and not by what the world says you need or should be. Instead, let, let everything that the one who made you says is true be true. Come and see what the Lord has done. But then it kind of takes a little turn. Come and see what the Lord has done. Verse 8, the desolations he has brought on the earth. That's a, that's, that's, that's a feisty word, you know. You could say, come and see the, you know, the achievements that he... The desolations? That's a big deal. What, what's he trying to get to? I think he's saying, this world is absolutely breaking in its brokenness. And the Lord sweeps in with the power of the eternal. And he does something about it. He's speaking to Israel. He's saying, look back at that exodus where the greatest king that's ever existed had you enslaved, and I shamed them with the sea falling on their heads. Have a look at those broken nations that don't exist anymore as they stood against the God of Israel, and I gave victory after victory after victory, because a broken, sinful world might be difficult, it might be falling apart, but I am the God of power, and I am the God of justice. This is an important part because we're not talking about a Mossman Spa Day for your soul when we talk about silence and solitude. We're talking about you coming with all of your mess and encountering a God who says, I own that and I will do something about that. We do not have a passive God who lives in heaven and just hopes to see you one day. He is intervening actively in the world, working for your good, Romans 8 says. Even the darkest of moments have a purpose in the hands of the masterpiece maker who is God. And that's true at every season of our lives. Come and see the desolations he's brought on the earth. You want to know the greatest desolation the Lord brought? It was a moment where all of sin was nailed to a cross. And the powers of darkness were conclusively destroyed in this beautiful paradox where God himself was killed and yet Satan dealt his own final blow. Come and see what the Lord has done and you'll realize that everything can fall apart and yet your life can be whole because you have Jesus. If you're feeling fearful, like, oh man, God just like, he breaks stuff and and hurts the people that are doing bad stuff, and I'm a bad person. Don't fear. Verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you know ordinary broken person who feels like this psalm isn't for you? God lives in you. It's just so simple. It'll change everything if you believe it. The one who stands outside of time 
and by his power holds you together. He's within you. He's here. Sometimes we do church like God's out there. This is the house of the Lord. He dwells with his people and he loves us. How do we bridge the gap? This is beautiful. This is true. This is who God is. This is reality, but this is how I feel. How do we bridge the gap? Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. If you're anything like me, you can, you can see the beauty of God and you can see your brokenness and you try and create the bridge on your own. You're like, well, I'm going to fix my problems. I'm going to do better. I'm going to stop doing bad stuff. I'm going to start doing good stuff and I'm going to just, I'm going to do it, right? No, no, no. You want Psalm 46, be still. Stop striving. John 15 says, abide in me, remain in me, rest in me, and you will be fruitful. It's simply by drawing near to Jesus that we find what we're always longing for. And in the context here, he's saying, look at the wars, look at the pain, look at the mountains, look at the earthquakes. They're still there. But if you can sort of turn away from that stuff and find the quiet place where you can truly just, just quiet the noise in here and stop looking at the noise out there, if you can just find this place of stillness, you'll come to know that I am God. When the Bible talks about knowing a person, they, they're speaking relationally, experientially. In, in Genesis 4, it says Adam knew his wife Eve, and then they had a child. Like, just read between the lines there. There's this intimacy between knowing someone. And so to come and know God in fullness is to learn how to be still. Now, that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson to learn. We're so prone to just trying to, to do and to be and to conquer. That's our, that's our way of life on the North Shore. We're just going to win the world for ourselves, right? It's a good lesson. But if we want to live the life of spiritual renewal, we need to not just see this as a lesson. We need to see this as a way of life. And that's where we come to Jesus. Jesus knew this, but Jesus lived this. Jesus breathed this. Jesus, you read through the Gospels, and there's some stuff that you'll see appear in every Gospel. Those are the things you should go, okay, this seemed important to everyone who knew Jesus. One of the things that came up not only in every gospel, but relentlessly through every gospel, was this just like game of hide and seek that Jesus was playing with his disciples. They would just kind of go, all right, let's go to the next thing. Let's go find Jesus. Where'd Jesus go? He's up the mountain again. Oh, come on, Jesus. Just constantly looking for him because he had this, this, this pro process of, of, of going out and, and pastoring, ministering, healing, doing stuff, and then just getting off the map. Luke 5 summarizes it really well. Luke 5, 15 to 16. The news about Jesus spread all the more, so crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Meaning Jesus' ministry is booming here. He's ready to plan his mega church, write his book, buy his private plane. You know, like he's at that level of, of fame in his ministry. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's so counter to what you'd expect. The, the success of ministry is rising, and so Jesus regularly, it says he often, withdrew to these places to pray. We're probably not surprised that Jesus prayed. That's a thing you do as a believer and a Christian, and you expect the Son of God to do that. But what's the deal with the lonely places? It seems a bit weird. It's Psalm 46. He's, he's physically seeking this place in which he can be still in the chaos of his successful ministry 
and come to know God as He was meant to be known. Sometimes we, we rightly remember that Jesus is divine, the eternal Word from the beginning, but He's also fully man. He felt fear and anxiety and worry and pain and temptation, just like you and me. How did He weather it? He ruthlessly made sure that He could go and be with God and have His heart reoriented. That's what Jesus did. He gave Himself, no matter what was going on, to going to be with His God. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus began His ministry out in the wilderness, the Eremos, same word here for lonely places. He fasted for 40 days, and then Satan sort of swoops in and he starts tempting him, right? I used to think, oh gosh, that'd be a good time to get someone, right? 40 days, I'd be hungry. Hasn't seen another person. He's probably a bit lonely. He'll probably just be like, Satan, keep talking, man. I'll do whatever you say. I used to think, okay, man, this is a good time to get him. But the more I spend time looking at, at the life of Jesus, I think this is the place of spiritual power. He's had 40 days without any noise or distraction. He, he encounters Satan and Satan tries to use scripture and he says, man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of his God. And you just see this guy is, is overflowing with the presence of God in this place. You come to the end of his ministry. He's literally on the eve of his death. It's the middle of the night. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's spent time with his closest friends, and he's, he's ready. What does he do? He says, Peter, John, just like, stay here. Don't fall asleep. I'm going to go and pray. He goes to be alone with his father. And, and again, if you're thinking silence and solitude is like this kind of Eastern spirituality meditative act where you like detach yourself from the world and become like one with God, we're about to talk about that. Nothing of the sort. Jesus in his place of silence and solitude on the eve of his death is sweating blood, which I'm told physiologically is possible if you get distressed enough. And he's pouring out his soul before the Lord. He says, I don't want to die. Don't make me drink this cup. But not my will, but yours. In between is just filled with whatever the circumstance. Jesus going and being with his God. Why? To pray. Mark chapter 1, which we had read. He's just had this long day of healing and demon casting out. I'm sure that's exhausting. You know, stuff just happening in front of you. It says that they were coming to him after dark. In a world without electricity, after dark, that's the tired moment where you should be sleeping. And he has all of this happening. And then Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus withdrew to the lonely places. Exhausted physically, he knows his greatest need is closeness with his God. Here's the question I ask myself. Here's the question I want to ask you. If the perfect son of God desperately needed to prioritize quiet space in prayer with his God, what makes you think that you don't need that? In this modern moment that we find ourselves, no, we're not talking radios, we're talking social media. How can we hope to have an abiding relationship with our God when all we can do is find more content? Absolutely read our Bibles, absolutely come to church, absolutely do these things, but we must find these moments where the deeper things within us can come to the surface in the stillness of God. And we can live through his lens and not through the lens of this world. So that's silence and solitude. It's this, it's this practical rhythm of our lives where we withdraw from the world into solitude. We find silence and we seek stillness because that is the place of transformation. 
So I want to finish by, by asking you to think about doing something with this. I mean, hopefully you can just take some stuff away from this. That'll help your approach with God. But ultimately, if you want to experience spiritual renewal, we need to integrate this into our life. We need to start living differently. So I want to, I want to put a challenge. Four weeks. Can you do four weeks where you give one small moment of each day in this period, that's 28 days, to practicing silence and solitude? Start small, real small, maybe five minutes. Build up to 10 if you're feeling good. If you're just like punching and just loving it, maybe 15, 30, that's fine. Start small and build it four weeks because this could be a huge part of our spiritual breakthrough if that is what we are longing for. Because so often we just hide from our deeper feelings and our problems. We self-medicate with our phones and our entertainment or a little more strongly with alcohol and drugs, pornography. We avoid the stuff deep within. But the path to resurrection is always through the cross and it hurts. The path to deeper knowledge of God is coming to Him as we are and allowing His grace to transform us. So, four weeks, I've got three steps for you to think about to integrate this. If you want to get your phone out or write this down on a notepad, that'd be really great. Three steps. First word, first step is solitude. Find your desert. We have to fashion our own desert. This is Henri Nguyen. He says we have to fashion our own desert where we can withdraw every day, shake off our compulsions, and dwell in the gentle healing presence of the Lord. Without such a desert, we will lose our own soul while preaching to others. It's haunting. We need to find a physical place where we can be alone with God. We need to find a place, we call it the desert, because it should be this space in which the visible noise of people and life can be just brought down. And the the audible noise can just be quieted so that we're not being distracted by people and and the, the things of ordinary life so that we can seek this place of stillness with God. We want to find this physical place of desert. Now, Jesus, he went out literally to the desert. The early Christians sometimes did too. There's nothing spiritual about that. Jesus was the son of God. He had a lot of people chasing him. My hunch is he probably couldn't find the local park bench because someone would find him for a quick demon exorcism, you know? He needed to to really get away if he wanted to properly pray and be with the Lord, right? Just to help ground you, I've got two deserts. One, I live in a little duplex and there's like a little tiny little balcony. It's literally just got my shoes and a chair for me. It's got a hedge that comes up just high enough that I can't see you and you can't see me. And there's a big if. If I can get up earlier than my daughters, just for a little while, it's this beautiful little quiet space where I can just be with God. Don't hear me wrong. I still read my Bible. I have prayer lists of people that I'm praying for. I still do all the other nerd things that I do as a pastor to seek after God. But this is different. This is a time where I'm intentionally coming to God in the quiet to allow what's under the surface to come, to come and know God. That's why desert number one. Desert number two is when number one doesn't pan out, which is often. I take the girls to preschool, and then I come, whichever church I'm working at that day, I'll come here and just sit in that back corner, right back there. Hopefully, so if you walk in, you don't notice me. Or at Neutral Bay, there's this beautiful you know, pew that just sits in the darkness, and you can see the stained glass windows. It's really, it's really nice. You can try it sometime if you want. That's my second desert. If it's 8 a.m., if it's 4 p.m., I just try and find the time. Jesus at times woke up early. Jesus at other times left in the middle of the night. It's, no, it's nothing spiritual about it. Find your desert. Second step is silence. Embrace silence. 
If solitude has helped cut out the outside noise, silence is something we need to befriend because there's going to be a lot of inside noise. And this is where most people tap out. They're like, I'm trying to be still, and every time I come here, I just get anxious and worried and thoughts come to my mind. Or maybe you're just like not flappable and we love you. You're just going through your task list. You're thinking like, well, I got some emails to reply to. It could be like nothing really, but just the thoughts start to come forward, right? You start to tap out because you think, well, I'm failing. I'm not very good at this. But that's the point. Jesus withdrew to pray. It's, it's not this meditative detachment. It's, it's prayer is communion. Prayer is relationship. Yes, there is silence. Silence of what's happening out there. And I, I want to be I'm a bit of a hobby horse for me. Prayer is not just us talking at God. There is this, this sense in which we are silent and turning what's within to Him because He knows us better than our words can try and cover anyway. That's a little hobby horse for you. We're trying to find this place of silence, but the stuff that comes forward, that's the fuel for prayer. That's the pathway to God. Thinking that we're failing because stuff comes up is actually missing the point. This is so easy to come and just come straight to God. I think of this time as really a daily reenactment of the gospel. We are coming to God heavy laden with whatever lies upon our heart, sometimes sin, things that we've done consciously or unconsciously against God. Other times it's just stuff. But what we're doing is we're coming to the God who knows us, the God who loves us, and we're choosing to be defined by His grace. It's an act of repentance. It's living, rehearsing the gospel in these little moments of our life and saying, this is who I am, God, and I choose to turn and believe that who you are matters most. And I choose to turn away from all that other stuff. So we, we need to get comfortable with silence. In the early days of practicing, you'll find that this is an uncomfortable place. Especially if you've ever been through difficult seasons of life or there's past trauma, we want to just own the fact that this, is, this can be a scary time. And we, there's, there's situations in which we need to think about how to do that safely. But for the most part, it's only through confronting what the ancient church called our shadow that we can truly find the light. And so we embrace silence. Lastly, stillness. We pray from the depths. Covers most of what I just said, but what we're, we're seeking to do is not remove ourselves and be one with God, but to be one with God truly as we are. And so we, we, don't, sh- we don't just move along in the shallows of our life. We're not content with just kind of burying the deep stuff and dealing with the superficial stuff. We're coming to God with the, the deeper realities of ourselves. Because Psalm 46 He's the one who makes the wars cease. Our job is to just come to Him, to be still. And that is the place where we know God. This is the place where we are transformed. This is the place where the stuff of the head starts to filter to the heart. This is the place where the gospel, which you know in theological dot points, starts to get applied to specific tangible problems in your heart. This is the place of presence with the Lord where we can truly do business with Him and know Him just as Jesus did. So I want, I want to wrap up there, but I want to wrap up with something a little weird. I'm going to invite maybe the band, you want to jump back up. I'm going to invite everyone to please stand. We're going to worship in a minute. We're just going to have a collective communal moment of solitude and silence. Just 30 seconds, 60 seconds. If you feel comfortable, um, close your eyes. If it helps you, maybe adopt a posture of prayer. Just spend this next 30, 60 seconds turning your attention to God with no no agenda, just being still.
We sang a beautiful hymn at 8 a.m. church this morning. And the first verse says this. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide in every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Let's turn this moment of stillness into worship. Let's praise.